0: when you look at a systems biology approach, what you're saying is not only do all of these systems work together, but the way that somebody lives, the way that they approach their nutrition, who they're raised by, what their mother did when they were pregnant with them, all of those things contribute to the health or unhealth of an individual. And we have to look at all of those things in the context of the individual. And then once we understand that, apply appropriate evaluation, which is much, much, much more in-depth than you would get at a traditional office.
1: You're listening to the voice of Dr. Tiffany Mullen, who's the CEO and co-founder of Vital Health, a Milwaukee, Wisconsin-based telemedicine startup company. Years after feeling frustrated by the healthcare system, both as a patient and as a physician, Dr. Mullen left corporate healthcare behind to co-found Vital Health. VitaHealth is a membership-based telemedicine company focused on solving health problems that have been overlooked or undertreated by traditional healthcare. Prior to launching VitaHealth, Dr. Mullen left Aurora Healthcare Department of Integrative Medicine as its medical director, growing it to be the largest department in the country. Dr. Mullen is duly board certified in family and integrative medicine. She completed her family medicine residency at St. Louis Hospital and Medical Center in Phoenix, Arizona, and her fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona. Are you tired of putting a band-aid to your illness, fatigue, and physical exhaustion? Do you rather know the root cause of your illness so that you can live a healthier life, a life with ease without disease, or dis-ease? Perhaps this is time to explore lifestyle medicine and functional medicine you're thinking, what is this? Well, in this episode, you're going to learn what the difference between lifestyle medicine and functional medicine from Dr. Mullen. She will share health topics and tips on addressing gut health, hormone imbalance, adrenal fatigue, fertility, and men's health. Are you ready to explore a different way to look at your own health? Well, stay tuned and listen on. Hello, friends. This is the What is Public Health podcast with your host, Dr. Ke What is public health? To me, public health is the invisible force that keeps you healthy every day, and I bet you didn't even know it. This podcast is your source of the latest trend in public health. Hello, friends. I'm very excited that I have a special guest here today, Dr. Tiffany Mullen. Um, how are you doing,
0: Dr. Mullen? I'm doing just fine. Thank you for asking. It's great to be here. Um, thankfully, I'm feeling healthy. Um, My family's healthy. My colleagues are healthy. So we're all we're all doing well. Thanks for asking.
1: So Dr. Mullen, I came across your Vital Health, uh, where Vital the I is a is a Y Vital Health, and I was just so fascinated about what you're doing and the platform that you're using is telehealth, and you're offering so many great services to the community here in Wisconsin, but because of telehealth, like anyone in the United States could take advantage of it. So I really, yeah. So that's why I'm so excited to have you here today because I think a lot of the offerings that your company provides is gonna be so helpful, especially um, in preventive services and in public health. You know, we really focus on, you know, getting people healthy and helping them maintain healthy behaviors so they don't have to go to the hospital or, or if they have to go to the hospital for other urgent care, they, they can. But, you know, by keeping a healthy lifestyle, it minimizes um, any urgent care. So that's mm-hmm. why I was so fascinated about your approach. And I think a lot of our listeners might be very intrigued about your approach in functional medicine, integrative medicine. So mm-hmm.
0: love to hear your career journey. And Yeah. Well, thank you. It's so much fun to be here. And I completely concur with you um, regarding the importance of health and prevention. As far upstream as we possibly can go, right? So, my career in medicine actually started when um, when I was little. Uh, when I was about one, one and a half, um, I went to medical school. No, I'm kidding. Um, when I was one and a half, I actually was diagnosed with a chronic medical condition, um, something called at that time juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Now, now it's actually called juvenile idiopathic arthritis. And so I was a little toddler and became quite significantly ill, had a lot of swollen joints and fevers, and um, really presented a a great deal of mystery to my small-town pediatrician at the time. So ultimately, I was taken into uh, the closest large city children's hospital, which happens to be in St. Louis, Missouri, where I grew up, and um, was diagnosed with juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So I really was informed from a very early age about what it is to be a patient um, my experience as a patient, which you know, this is a chronic illness. I still have it. I still have um, daily, you know, pain and and limitations and things that I have to deal with as a patient. So um, it is something that has really shaped my character and really shaped my perspective of what um, what it is that we have in healthcare and the kind of relationships that we have with physicians and other people in healthcare um some of that experience has been fantastic um and some of it has frankly been very awful and scary and you know um has not been a very positive experience and I think because of all of that when I became a young adult I decided that I wanted to transform that experience into something that I felt I could uh, create something positive from so that is why I ultimately chose to go to medical school um I went to medical school and, uh, did residency in family medicine. So I'm a primary care physician at heart, always have been, um, wanted to have those long um, you know, high quality relationships with patients where I know them for a long period of time. And I not only take care of them, but I take care of their kids or maybe their parents or their brothers and sisters. And so I'm really in the family's life in, in a big way. So that was always really important to me, um, what I found after a 20-year career of practicing family medicine was that um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of difficult things about being a physician um, on the other side of the table from the patient. Um, the nature of the way that healthcare has become has created a situation where both physicians and patients are being um, constrained by time. So we're only able to spend a very small amount of time, relatively speaking, with each patient. And so consequently, the process of taking care of patients over time in my career has really transformed into something very Um, not as rewarding and very mechanistic. And um, I was quite disappointed when I was in a position of having to see, you know, 25 patients a day to meet their healthcare needs. And I really felt like I didn't have time to get to know them. And so here I am, a patient understanding how it feels to be on the receiving end of that and how that can feel very dismissive. And then as a physician, On the other side, feeling the pain and constraints of not being able to connect with my patients and offer them really much of anything besides just prescriptions in that amount of time and thinking, this is not what I signed up for this is not what I want to do to help people. So very early on in my career, I was very interested in holistic medicine and holistic medicine is a rather large umbrella term over a lot of different types of practices, some of which have changed names over time or there's been sort of additive groups of uh, different ways to practice anything from originally sort of alternative medicine, those types of practices that are outside the scope of what we deliver in traditional healthcare to complementary and alternative medicine, sort of a little bit more easy for the traditional medical community to understand and potentially accept to integrative medicine, where we're taking the best of all different types of practices from lifestyle to other cultural practices of healthcare and incorporating them into healthcare, to functional medicine where they are people are being treated for root cause and really trying to unpack problems and solve them instead of covering them so i went through training in all of those things after residency (laughs) i actually got trained in medical acupuncture as well along the way i thought that was kind of a fun thing to be able to do Um, and so i i Practice those types of medicine alongside my traditional family medicine practice. Got into uh, working for a large corporate healthcare company here in Wisconsin and led the integrative medicine department there for about 10 years, grew it quite significantly over that time, and then got involved in early innovation within the company as well, uh, delivering and developing our digital health solutions. And I kind of got bitten by the digital health bug at that time and ultimately decided that after with all that experience and sort of the disappointment of what I was being able to deliver in the healthcare system as well as now a new set of skills, um, I wanted to go ahead and launch my own company. And that's when Vital Health was born.
1: Now that you started your company, Vital Health, maybe you could tell us more about that and mm-hmm. and uh, how is it different than the current conventional model of going to a, a clinic or an outpatient? Yeah, insurance? oh boy,
0: I, I think that there are so many differences. So first of all, um, it is completely telemedicine-based. So every visit with a patient is via video. Um, and, and we did that for a number of reasons. One, because we realized that there's a lot of inefficiencies that are built into clinics. So people coming in and having to wait in a waiting room um, and be sort of... Uh, touched by so many different persons through their journey to get to the physician ultimately just felt like a lot of wasted time for them. Plus the fact that they had to drive to get to the clinic, maybe find a babysitter for their kids, leave work, uh, deal with traffic. All of these things in today's world seemed like not necessary when we are Skyping and video talking to family and friends all the time. Um, It just also felt like it was just a really good convenience for both sides of the party. I mean, you know, for, for physicians and patients to be able to stay put and be able to have a quality quality amount of time with each other. So it is telemedicine. We spend an hour with each new patient. We get to know them in depth, including their, you know, medical history, all of the things that you would normally Get in a medical visit, but we really dive deeply into lifestyle. We uh, look at supplements. We look at nutrition in a a very in depth way. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is help a patient who typically has been quite dismissed by traditional healthcare. In other words, they've gone through the process and not been helped. Um, We're working to try to help them understand why. And I think that's the difference between functional medicine or non-traditional medical practices and traditional medicine is that we are deeply curious. We want to understand what it is that's driving a particular set of symptoms and go after the root cause instead of just covering it up. So we do a lot of extensive testing. We um, really delve into lifestyle practices and we work with a patient to try to solve their problem Ultimately, and that is something that evolves over the relationship that we have with them.
1: But I was just wondering, you know, I'm thinking from the listener perspective is like, well, what Mm -hmm. if I have like a a chest pain or I have, you know, something else here or maybe I need to get a
0: breast exam? How do you do that through a telehealth Approach mm-hmm. yeah, I think that there are some things obviously that are not manageable via telemedicine. you know, for example, we're not um, doing appendectomies. <laughs> we're not um, we're not able to do everything that that needs to be done in a physical health care setting. So if it is a problem that we feel as though needs a hands- on approach, um, we will help coordinate care for that patient, get them to the right resource, so either they're going to see you know, a specialist or they're going to go to an urgent care center, they're going to have an x-ray or an ultrasound or some type of test done to evaluate uh, their problem. But the truth of the matter is it's been studied by the American Telehealth Association that about 70% of medical problems can be managed by a telemedicine. And by that, I am excluding obviously all of the surgical things and procedural things that we need to do for patients. But a great deal of what we do in the clinic can be done by a telemedicine. And we know obviously where to draw the line there.
1: Mm, okay. Yeah. Cause I was wondering like, how would you, would you take the camera up close
0: to your body? You can, you can use it. Um, in fact, there's a really, there's a lot of growing, you know, use cases for telemedicine where, you know, things like dermatology that are, that are highly visual um, can be done very well via telemedicine. But a lot of, you know, what we learned in medical school is that if you listen to patients, if you listen very closely and you let them talk and you let them tell their story, which is not what we do in traditional medicine, we tend to cut them off very quickly, people will tell you what's wrong with them. And you can figure it out from the history. It used to be uh, told that about 95% of the diagnosis was in the history and 5% was in the physical exam and testing, which seems completely the opposite of probably what most people experience. They tend to experience very little talking and a whole lot of testing. And I think that is why healthcare costs have gone up so much. Good old fashioned listening and interviewing a patient goes a really long way. And obviously that can be done very simply via telemedicine.
1: Yeah. Cause I, when I think back, um, just going to like my annual checkup, like the first thing they do is um, they you know, take blood and you know, blood pressure and all those things mm-hmm. and weight. Do you then have, so do you outsource that part? So you have a base case for your patient's profile and then, and then, then the visit happens. And so how does, how does one, how does it start?
0: Yeah. So it actually starts by the patient filling out a very comprehensive um, intake form. So we obtain, um, you know, their history, we obtain old records or old test results. Um, You know, we obtain their uh, medications and supplements. And in fact, they can even take pictures of the backs of supplements. One of the things that used to really frustrate me when I was practicing in a clinic was patients would come in and they'd say, oh, I'm taking, um, you know, calcium and vitamin D. And I'd say, well, how much? And they would say, I have no idea. So the nice thing is, is that they can actually take pictures of the labels and we can see what they're taking. Um, we don't take vitals on everyone because what I find is that vitals are they're really more driven by reimbursement than they are actual helpful information. Um, it's one thing if you have a person with high blood pressure who you're monitoring you know, with their blood pressure, those, those folks can very easily monitor their blood pressure at home and share that data with us. Um, they don't need to be able to come in and have a blood pressure taken. And what I find is that In that example, it's very frustrating because patients are typically rushed in. They sit down in a chair. Well, first they're weighed, which is always very frustrating and scary for people. And then we sit them down in the chair and we take their blood pressure. And so it's not a very good way to really assess somebody's blood pressure health in that kind of setting. So – There are certain pieces of data that obviously we can obtain alongside a a patient at home or in some sort of monitoring device kind of way. But for the most part, that sort of every single patient gets the same type of intake and inputs um, has never made sense to any of us that practice this way because it just seems to be more about getting certain data points recorded so that we can bill more. And that's just not how we practice.
1: Wow, that's a different perspective of thinking about all those vitals and what you know what goes on in a doctor's visit.
0: Yes, and, unfortunately, yeah. it's highly motivated by how much can I get paid? And it's not that doctors are greedy. It's just that this is how the system is stacked. System is stacked to say, if you want to bill a certain level for a visit, you have to have X number of data points, and you have to have X number of problems. And it's very defined. And physicians know this. And so that's how the game is played. Mm. Wow, I guess you have to have to be um, book smart and also good at the playing games too. You do. You have to <laughs> be able to figure doctor. out how it is. You know, this is yeah. how it works. Okay. Well, if this is how the game is played, then this is how we're going to do it. And it doesn't necessarily help anyone. It's not really helping the patient to have you know, certain number of vital signs and, and, you know, 12 questions that every single patient gets asked. It's like some of these questions may have nothing to do with me. Um, You know, so it just, it it just needs to be much more personalized.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned that 70% of cases are related to things that are not physical, um, I guess, attributes. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, maybe you could help elaborate what that means. Do you sure. mean like just having a common cold? Or yeah. No, yeah.
0: I would say it's not that they're, they're not related to physical attributes. They may very well be physical, and many times they are. But the diagnosis portion can, can be accomplished through understanding the patient in the context of their symptoms, but also in asking the right questions. So if you, for example, came to me and you said, I, I have a sore throat, and I have a runny nose, and I have a cough, and I would ask several questions to follow up up on that and in my mind I can very easily figure out whether you have a cold and it's a virus and it'll go away on its own and I'm going to offer you some supportive care suggestions um some of which may be natural some of which may be traditional whatever it is that your value system holds Um, but I can also figure out whether I think you need to have a chest x-ray or a, you need to have strep throat testing, or you may have a sinus infection and require an antibiotic. So those kind of diagnoses are fairly easily made with, without a lot of input from a physical exam. Now, sometimes you need to look in a throat or you need to look in an ear, but those are the kind of things that you know for most people you can figure out um, just by spending time with patients and understanding what's going on with them.
1: And mm-hmm. yeah, and vital health has a primary focus on functional medicine and you That's mentioned right. that you got training in that can you elaborate what functional medicine is because I think um, you know there um, some people kind of know what it is mm-hmm. but it sound, kind of sounds like holistic medicine but it's like a branch of it and and maybe for our listeners who are medical students are thinking about getting to residency like maybe talking about can how do they get training in that is it
0: mm-hmm. do they have to get certified or is it through residency if you just elaborate on yeah. functional medicine. Great, right. yeah. So, functional medicine is not something that most people know about, or at least they don't know what it's called. They may have this idea of this is how the, this is the kind of care that I want, but they didn't know that it had a name. Um, so, functional medicine really is based on this idea of what we call systems biology, and that idea is that all parts of the body are interrelated. Um, one of the things that's interesting about being trained as a medical uh, doctor or even in the medical profession, regardless of kind of how you, if you're a nurse or an occupational therapist or whatever, is that you learn that each organ system and each part of the body is a separate entity. And very rarely are you given the opportunity to show how they all come together. So we tend to think about things like the cardiovascular system as being its own isolated silo. The musculoskeletal system is one and the endocrine or the hormone system is another, et cetera what you don't realize is that all of these parts of the body talk to each other. And this Cartesian model, which is that individual siloed model doesn't make sense because that's not how things work. So When you look at a systems biology approach, what you're saying is not only do all of these systems work together, but the way that somebody lives, the way that they approach their nutrition, who they're raised by, what their mother did when they were pregnant with them, all of those things contribute to the health or unhealth of an individual. And we have to look at all of those things in the context of the individual. And then once we understand that, apply appropriate evaluation, which is much, much, much more in-depth than you would get at a traditional office. We look at things like, you know, dozens and dozens of biomarkers alongside genetics, alongside, you know, functional testing for for gut health, autoimmunity, depending on the patient. So we're really taking a deep dive into physiology and unpacking a problem as far upstream as we possibly can get so that we can say, aha, here is where this, this is where things have come apart. And this is where we need to focus our efforts. Um, so solving for root cause is the way that functional medicine works. And it may be inputs of uh, supplements. It may be lifestyle changes, and oftentimes is. It may be medications that we need to put into place. Um, but it's a comprehensive approach to solving a problem instead of covering up. um you know, just taking prescriptions and covering, covering the this, this symptoms with prescriptions. Um, the training process is actually really great because it can be done at any stage in your, in your medical career. So, you know, I did have some, um, medical residents who are doing functional medicine training alongside their traditional uh, residency training when I was doing mine. Um, the most common way to get functional medicine trained is through the Institute for Functional Medicine. That's um, the largest training organization in the country. There are several others, but that's the one I went through and the one that most of us go through and it's modular. So you, you learn a little bit at a time, you know, you go to, uh, to a, a location and have uh, hands-on training in a given topic um, spend a lot of time with people who think like you, which is also really great because the healthcare system doesn't tend to attract the same kind of minds that functional medicine do. Does so um, the training process can be done at, at your own pace. It can be done over the course of a year, over years, and then ultimately there is a certification at the end that is optional. You can become certified or not. Um, but then you have the skills in your in your skill set to be able to see patients and treat them this way.
1: Do you um? outsource genetic testing and you mentioned gut health Mm -hmm. Uh, do you do microbiome testing how does that work
0: yeah Mm -hmm. so so the interview process around that um, you know getting at some of these these ways of thinking about patients really that that very initial intake where we're really spending a lot of time understanding a patient's history we actually in functional medicine what we actually do is two things one we take a history on a timeline so when patients are talking to us, we're plotting what's happening to them and what has happened to them in terms of stressors and um, major life events and even like their prenatal histories we were talking about. We're plotting that along the timeline. And then what we're doing is we're actually taking all that information and layering it into something we'll call the matrix. The matrix is a tool that allows us to put uh, all this information in a way that makes sense and helps us organize it. So that's it's a very different way of, of taking the, the information that you're getting um from a patient and jumping to a conclusion, what you're really doing is unpacking it in lots and lots of layers and seeing how they all interconnect. And that's the systems biology part. Um, but in terms of testing, yeah, it really depends on what the patient is going through. We we never have a situation where we're doing the same tests on the same people, you know, we're really listening to the story and figuring out like, what do we need to know about a patient? What is, what is going to help us understand what's happening and in what order, how do we need to peel this onion? How do we need to get at the cause? What do we start with? And it's, it's highly individualized. So it'll be different from, from person to person, but it'll be things like potentially microbiome. It'll be gut function markers. How well does this person digest? How well do they assimilate their food? Are there infections that they're unaware of that we need to remove from their system so that they function better? Um, are there hormonal imbalances? Are there genetic issues? Um, are there um, particular... Um, problems with you know neuro neurochemicals or other things imbalances in their body that we might be able to tackle all of these things are additive and actually can be overlaid on top of that matrix and really start to develop out this very clear picture of what's happening. So all of those tests typically we can do all of those tests at home, which is kind of amazing. We have test kits that are run off of either saliva, a finger stick of blood, a, a mouth swab a urine, a stool test, all of those can be conveniently taken at home and sent into the lab so the patient doesn't have to go traipsing around from lab to place to picking up kits. We send all of those things to their home and they can complete those at home. There are some things, obviously, we do have to send to the lab, but uh, the majority of what we do in functional medicine is done on home-based test kits. So that's kind of cool.
1: If you can give us an example on how functional medicine has addressed some health condition differently from Mm. conventional medicine. And I think that might be helpful for our listeners to know, you know, what, you know, what they, you know, when they do go to a traditional conventional visit, like how that might differ from going to yours. And and if you can maybe share some of these health tips as it relates to, like you had mentioned about gut health, hormonal imbalance, Mm
0: -hmm. um, fatigue. Uh, fertility and also men's. So if you take, for example, the, let's just start with gut health. Um, One of my least favorite things that traditional medicine does is how it treats GERD or heartburn, uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease, GERD. Um, GERD is actually not a thing. GERD is something that was invented by the pharmaceutical industry. So um, people get frequent heartburn for a lot of different reasons. And most of it has to do with the way that they're eating or how they're eating or what they're eating. Um, But they typically will get put on very powerful anti-acid medications, what we call proton Pump inhibitors or PPIs, things like Prilosec, Nexium, those kind of things, which are now unfortunately over the counter. Um, and so people go on those medications and they are very, very effective at suppressing acid. Um, but unfortunately, what happens is patients try to go off of them then after a couple of days and they can't because the acid comes back terribly. What we know about GERD or heartburn is that it's not too much acid that's being produced. It's actually just acid in the esophagus where it shouldn't be, it's in the wrong place. So there are lots of things that you can do. Um, in addition to changing how you're eating, how much you're eating, under what circumstances you're eating, um, really focusing on that. But you can also do things like use ginger, for example, which helps the stomach to empty. So if you can help the stomach to empty, obviously you get the food contents going in the right direction instead of back up through the esophagus. Um, we can use other supplements to treat that. So really helping somebody solve the problem of heartburn makes sense over covering it, Because the problem with covering it is if you suppress the stomach acid, you're also now very much impeding that patient's ability to absorb calcium, magnesium, and B12. Um, And those are really important for overall health, for bones, for for fatigue. And so a lot of downstream problems come from people chronically using these medications to treat a problem that is treatable in other more safe ways. Um, So that's a really kind of quintessential example of how we would approach somebody with that type of symptom. Um, I think fatigue is another one that gets um, really shoved under the rug in a traditional healthcare system because it's a big one. It's a very common problem, and it's a very broad. There are very broad reasons for people to be fatigued. So, if you go into a traditional medical office and you say, "I'm not, I'm feeling tired," you may get some cursory questions about, "Well, how are you sleeping? Are you snoring?" Et cetera, et cetera. Maybe a few uh, superficial labs are done to evaluate for anemia or you know other problems. And you know, typically, if it's a woman, particularly if you're tired and you don't, there's no other reason that you should be tired, you're basically said, "Well, you must be depressed." And you know, here's here's an antidepressant, and then you're not sleeping well. Here's an anti, you know, here's a medication to sleep. And you walk out the door, and now you're essentially you no know, further along and taking two prescriptions that you really don't need. So um, in our case, we're actually looking at it very comprehensively, looking at the thyroid in depth and doing, you know, five to six thyroid markers to the traditional healthcare's one. Um, we are looking at adrenal function, cortisol values, which are the chronic stress hormones. Evaluating genetics, evaluating lifestyle. So really going down a deep dive and unpacking that fatigue problem until we get to uh, what it is. Um, so those are just sort of classic um, functional medicine approaches. Fertility, um, we have a you know an amazing fertility expert on our on our team who takes a very comprehensive, holistic approach to, to helping women with fertility because so many women. I think the estimation is, you know, somewhere like 30 or 40% of women who have infertility don't have a reason. There's no, they go through an entire workup and they can't find out why. Um, So Dr. McCubbins, who's our infertility specialist, does an amazing job of taking a naturopathic and functional medicine approach to helping women conceive. And she does a very good job with that. Men's health, to your point, um... That is, a, that is an underserved community. And I think because men are wired to think that they don't need to go to the doctor, they don't need to have any care because uh, if something's broken, I'll get it fixed. If it's not broken, I don't really need to spend my time going to the doctor. So they are the least likely patients that we would have across the board, but particularly in primary care, they're only coming in if something hurts or is broken or is not functioning well. And then usually it's only because their wife or partner has shoved them through the door and made them come in. Um, So what I think about, when I think about men's health and our men's health specialist, Dr. May is amazing. Um, I think about the idea that, that men, when they learn that they can do so much prevention, they can feel better. They can actually have a much better lifestyle and feel like energy and strength and, and, you know, chase the kids around and be able to show up for work, feeling clear eyed and clear minded and really deliver um, on their work when they start to frame it up in terms of their ability to be in their life. um, Then I think it tends to get their attention when they realize, like, I just don't feel like I'm 30. I act I feel like I'm 50. I feel like I'm 60. You know, they're really pushing it and they could, they could actually function so much better. So we we have a, you know, great men's health specialist that really unpacks that. But I really encourage guys to get to get uh, functional medicine care because there's a lot of things that we can do to prevent those heart attacks and those diabetes cases from coming up and those, you know, those extra 20, 50 sometimes more pounds that come on as as men age and and go into adulthood. So Makes a big difference for them.
1: And I guess, what are some symptoms um, that um, you that you could share um, to our listeners who are men that oh, this could be a sign? Because then I think, like you said, like at the traditional is like um, unless it's broken, I'm not going to the doctor. <laughs> so, what could be yeah. some signs that you could share that? you know, and you don't want to be so depressed that that's when you go like, it's, yeah. it's more about preventative, right? Absolutely.
0: So. Well, I think a lot of men are, are, you know, really working hard. They're, they're, you know, pushing it at work and then they have a family a lot of times. And, um, they're still trying to go out there and, you know, be with the guys and play basketball on the weekends and all these kind of things. And they're finding, they get tired too. They're finding like, I just don't have my, I'm just tired. I just don't have my gusto. I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm, you know, carrying this belly that I didn't used to have. Um, you know, they're not sleeping as well as they used to. Maybe they're drinking more alcohol than they used to to try to cope with maybe anxiety or things like that. Um, so, you know, it's really recognizing those, those are solvable issues. Those are not just things that happen to you as you get older as a man. They're, they're solvable problems and they have a root cause and they are something that you can work on and make better. And why not milk as many high quality years as you possibly can out of your life than just be kind of average and be sort of like, well, I'm getting by. It's like, well, that's not good enough. Why wouldn't you want to thrive, you know? So I think that's the approach that a lot of men need to think about.
1: Yeah. I guess another question I'm wondering, like a lot of my listeners may be thinking, is like, okay, now we know the symptoms. Now we're super excited about vital health. Yeah. Is you know, and once we go through this uh, extensive or comprehensive workup and you do individualize it and you personalize it, like Mm. what's the extent of the treatment? Because I think that's maybe the fuzzy part, right? Where people are thinking, am I signing up for like a lifetime of like treatment here because this is a holistic (laughs) approach. Um, So I wonder if you can help demystify because I know it's going to be hard because it's, you have to individualize it, but you could just share some test case or case studies that, that you work with someone and it wasn't like a lifetime, but but it should be a lifestyle change. But yeah. I just want to make sure we don't scare our audience here. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, yeah. no, that's a good point. I think, you know, obviously what we do want to have stick over our lifetime is, is good health practices. Um, you know, your audience, I'm sure, would agree with that. We want people to eat healthfully. We want them to exercise. We want them to sleep. And we want to help them manage their stress. I mean, that's just core to um, to leading a healthy life. And that's you're right. That is very individualized, patient to patient. Um, but that's always going to be in the mix. We're always going to be talking about that. Um, But I could give you the example of, for example, um, adrenal fatigue. Adrenal fatigue is a very misunderstood condition. It's not well accepted by the traditional medical community, and it's really better described as uh, a hormonal conversation between the pituitary and the adrenals. Adrenals are the glands that sit on top of the kidneys that help you manufacture a whole bunch of hormones, um, the most important of which I think for the sake of this conversation is cortisol, which is your chronic stress hormone. Um, People who have problems with this, who, who present typically with, weight gain um, around their middle particularly fatigue um, difficult times sleeping despite the fact, despite the fact that they're very tired um, they they are people who we can evaluate very simply with us with a saliva test at home then we typically approach them when we follow up we walk through the labs and then we look at adding supplements which are natural um, to help support their chronic stress. We would add some nutritional supplements, maybe perhaps to help support that and meet the nutritional needs if there's any deficits in that. Um, And that's a treatment that usually lasts somewhere around 12 to 18 months, and then it's done. So we're not looking at writing a prescription for these things and saying, okay, well, here's your regimen for the rest of your life. um, As is the typical approach, right? Here's a prescription. Take this forever. Um, What we're doing is fixing it. We fix it. And then we reevaluate and we look again and say, are we fixing it? Are we doing all the right things? And are you able to manage these lifestyle changes in your life? And if not, how can we support you to do that? Um, But the idea is to fix the problem. The idea is not to cover it. Um, So, Yes, there will be some difficult things for some people to make changes with their nutrition, but we're here to support them and we're here to help them get the most out of what they're doing with us and um, get them better so that they're not taking medications or supplements for the rest of their life. So, yeah, I was wondering, like, during this whole
1: corona, during this whole coronavirus, um, COVID nineteen pandemic, do you see an increase in patients for specific conditions? I mean, I know we went over a few conditions um, Mm. that your practice focuses on, but I'm just wondering if you notice like any increase in specific things.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, What we saw a lot of um, in our practice uh, is people were dealing with a lot of anxiety um, because of the nature of the fact that none of us have ever had to deal with something like this before. So there was a lot of people who were watching the news unfold and watching the state of the world and feeling supremely anxious about um, what was happening, not just for themselves, but feeling a lot of compassionate anxiety about their neighbors and friends and other people. Um, so anxiety was has been a big part of what we've been helping patients with. Um, and relatedly, insomnia. I think people have had a really hard time sleeping because they're so concerned about what's going to happen and perhaps they're having uh, stress around their work. They've been laid off or they work at a restaurant and now they're not, you know, waiting tables. So I think um, this has just been collectively very difficult from a uh, behavioral health standpoint to try to figure out how to manage this. Obviously, we're seeing our share of people who um, are concerned about their you know, symptoms and want to make sure that they're getting them addressed and is this COVID and how can I make my immune system stronger so that I don't get COVID, that's in the mix as well. Um, but we've been trying to meet the needs of our uh, current patients as well as new patients by offering them a sliding scale approach so that they can pay whatever they're comfortable paying. Um, we think it's really important for our community because there has been so much financial fallout um, from this pandemic that if a patient can't pay us, they still need to be seen, we'll still see them. And we're offering that um, to anybody who, need, who can be seen for a telemedicine visit. We, we would like to make sure that people know that that care is available to them. So that's kind of been our response to this, to this current situation. Does your company take insurance? We actually take uh, FSA and HSA. So a lot of patients have uh, high deductible health plans and they have an HSA or an FSA program. Um, we will accept those kind of payments. Telemedicine as a rule has not been insurance reimb- reimbursable. I think that'll probably change in the face of what's happened with this pandemic. Um, but no, we do not accept insurance directly, but we will help patients manage their you know, reimbursement forms and um, accept HSA and FSA to make that easier. And everything mm-hmm. is upfront, um, patients approve and everything that they pay for, they get upfront. So there's absolutely no sort of mystery, which is also, I think, a big pain point for people is going to the doctor, not understanding their health insurance, not understanding if they're on a high deductible health plan or if they have a copay and then receiving a surprise bill for a rather large amount of money. Um, that does not help the stress. <laughs> no, so. it
1: doesn't. Yeah. And it's just, and that's the thing, like, you know, when you go to the doctor and you ask the doctor, like, how much is it going to cost? And most doctors like, I don't know. They don't You know. have to talk. I I never, I never
0: knew.
1: I never do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so, they're there. I mean, their main focus is to provide care, and so that's exactly and that's right. good, right? They don't be they shouldn't be focusing on numbers it's like yes, dollars. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. They, and you
0: know, it's different from from health plan to health plan. So even if yeah. they even if they wanted to focus on those numbers, it would be impossible to sort all that information. So. <laughs> exactly,
1: <laughs> and it changes like every other year. It does I mean, it's just, it's, with new like new benefits, new premium, and everything. It's so, crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. 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 As we're coming to a close to our interview. I was wondering if you can share one or two golden nuggets of advice for our listeners. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, golden nuggets. Wow. Um, I would say, uh, don't settle for healthcare that doesn't agree with your value system. Um, that means that if you feel dismissed and you feel as though you're not getting the help that you need, continue to seek that out, even if it's not with vital health, because your health is important and you are ultimately the driver of it as I have found out as a patient. Um, everyone needs to sleep. (laughs) We all need to sleep better. Um, So whatever it takes, make sure you're getting a good night's sleep. And um, my other favorite thing to tell people is exercise is so critically important to health. Don't forget how important that tool is across the board, regardless of what you can do. I'm a person who's had rheumatoid arthritis for decades and decades, and I still exercise every day. It's really important to function. So um, I think, I I don't know if those are the golden nuggets you're looking for, but those are the ones that come to mind.
1: Oh no, that's, those are great go-to nuggets, and I think our listeners appreciate this. Put more each uh, each episodes. I ask our guests what's the go-to nuggets. so they should have like a gigantic
0: basket of go-to nuggets. <laughs> <So that's laughs> oh, I good. could go on and on, but I'll just <laughs> yeah. limit it to those. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, and what's the best way for our listeners to reach out to you? Absolutely. So we have a wonderful website that's quite comprehensive. Um, that's at www.vitalvitalhealth.com. Um, there, you can actually take a symptom quiz if you're interested in sort of looking at some of the things that might be going on with you. It's not meant to be be diagnostic, but it is meant to sort of give you a sense of maybe what kind of things you might want to be working on with your functional medicine physician. Um, You can also email us at hello at vital, V-U-I-T-A-L, vitalhealth.com. We also have a really awesome social media presence um, both Facebook and Instagram are at your vital health um, those are great ways to follow tips and tricks that our physicians share we have a great blog series on our website for great reading um, and yeah so that's the best way to reach us
1: oh thank you so much for that <laughs> message and encouragement to doctors out there to our listeners that you are the show caretaker of your life that's right that's exactly mm-hmm. right well put if you got questions about any of the episodes feel free to reach out to me directly and while you're there at it please subscribe to the podcast and share the episode that you felt connected with so we could be a part of this collective invisible force called public health thanks